You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. So there's this, uh, up to this point, we've seen this man, Joe, go through horrible things, things that you and I would never want to try to even imagine going through. But he goes through all of these things, and then his friends come, and they sit with him, and they mourn with him, and they're faithful to him for a little while, and they uh, try to encourage him. Uh, But then they spend the next uh, 24, 25 chapters rebuking Job. Now, why did they rebuke him? Somebody tell me, because I'm always doing all the talking. Why did they rebuke him? What's that? Fault-finding. Okay, they were, they were fault-finding. What? Yeah, and what they, they said he must have done something wrong. What was that based on? Yeah, so they, and it was it was strictly based on the pain that he was in, and the sorrow, and the problems, and the trials, or the turmoil. It that's all it was based on, and they had no evidence that Job had done anything wrong, and uh, they judged him. Uh, I know that we're Baptists, and we've never judged anybody outside of what we should, right? Right. Um, so we, but and that's one thing we can learn is that we don't we can't judge someone's heart based on what we see only purely on the outside. We, we, we need to base, uh, and we do need to judge. Okay, We don't judge hearts, but we do have to judge between right and wrong. And that's biblical. If you don't, everybody exercises judgment every day, all the time. Now, um, so then the, the, these three friends, they the first two friends go through three rounds of uh, argument. Zophar, um, at the end, just goes, I give up. I'm not even going to try a third one. Bildad's third one was short, and they were they were just winding down because they're realizing they're not getting anywhere with Job. Job responds, and then we come to Job chapter 32, is where we started last week. And uh, the three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Okay, not because Job was righteous in their eyes. They didn't stop because they went, oh, I guess he's right. No, they they saw and they said, hey, he's righteous in his own eyes, so we're not getting anywhere with him. And now we come to this man named Elihu. Um, Elihu, I told you this last time, it's, it's a debate. And you get some commentators and some preachers who think that Elihu was this horrible, horrible counselor, just as bad as the rest of them. Um, I, I recently, uh, so last week I was, Thursday I was preaching in chapel at Rochester. And, um, I had to shorten it way down, but I wasn't preaching this what I preached last week, but I was preaching about Elihu and, and some of the things I learned from him just through studying through these six chapters. And uh, somebody came up to me and asked me, what are you preaching on? And I said, Job chapter 32, Elihu. And then he said, oh, he's a scoundrel. You know, and that's, that's how a lot of people are. They've got this really strong opinion about who he is. Um, so after, you know, after studying all six chapters, I'm like, is he good or is he bad? You know, some, some say, man, he was a great counselor. I think we'll find, I think you'll find over last week, this week, and probably next week too, that there were a lot of things that he said that were true and good, and there were a lot of things where he stepped over the line, and he did act like Job's other friends. I think there's a little bit of both 
in here. So we'll, we'll see that as we go over the next couple weeks. Um, now, Elihu, he's, uh, uh, he's courteous. He's respectful. He tells Job, he tells the friends, hey, uh, remember Elihu's much younger than them, substantially younger. We don't know exactly how much, but enough to where he was said to be a, a younger man. And we see in a couple places that he was much younger. But um, going through all of that, he, um, he sits and he listens to Job's friends and Job go back and forth. And he holds his tongue. He keeps his, he keeps his mouth closed. That was one of the things I was teaching the young people is that just because you're young does not mean that what you have to say is not important. And it doesn't mean to say that just because you're young, you're not right and somebody older is not wrong. But there's a right way to go about that. And so that was kind of the focus of what I was talking with them about last week. So he does that. He, he's uh, cautious. He's patient. He says, um, uh, let's see here. Where am I? Chapter 32. Uh, verse 11. Behold, I waited for your words. I gave ear to your reasons whilst ye searched out what to say. I, yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job nor answered his words. So he's been patient. He's been cautious. And he's been respectful up until this point. And uh, then in verse number 18, for I'm full of matter, the spirit within me constrains me. To be full of matter means he's full of speech, he's full of words, he's, he's got a lot to say. And we find that he spends six chapters saying what he has to say. Six chapters of just him, uh, right in a row. And so he, I think one of the things that he didn't do well is he didn't keep his words concise. I know, pot calling kettle black, right? Uh, but he just kept going and going and going, and maybe he could have shortened some things up a little bit. Um, then, let's see, we come to chapter 33. Job, or uh, Elihu, uh, he begins to challenge Job. He says, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken unto all my words. And really, he spends those first six verses telling him this is, that I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to be honest. That's all he had to say, but he was very wordy. Then uh, we move on. Let's see here. Uh, Elihu, in verse 9, says, uh, he says, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent. He's talking, uh, he's quoting Job here, and he says, I'm innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he findeth occasions against me, speaking of God. He counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. So Elihu, and we're going to see this a couple different times. Excuse me. He's going to accurately recount what Job was saying. But he's going to cherry pick some of it. And uh, he's going to attack those things and maybe without taking all of Job's speech into context. Uh, let's see here. Verse 12, Behold, thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. And so really, if we, if we go back, especially in the first couple chapters of Elihu's response, I think if we had to put a theme to it, the theme is that Elihu thinks that Job has not given God the credit for being righteous. Elihu thinks that Job has focused on his own righteousness more than he's focused on the righteousness of God. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, and, I, and I agree with him, I think you're going to find when you get to chapter 42 that Job does repent of some of the things and the ways he went about his responses. Um, so I think there is some room for criticism there, although it's kind of like Jesus said, but he who is without sin cast a first stone. So uh, I want to be careful to not attack Job because Job, uh, Job endured things that none of us have ever endured. And stayed faithful to God and never cursed God like his wife told him to. And then verses 16 through 18, um, he, 
he talks about Job. Job said, I, I've been crying out to God and I'm not getting an answer. And Elihu says, well, maybe, uh, maybe he has answered you and you're just not hearing it. Maybe it was through the ears of men, he says. Maybe it was, uh, maybe it was in sleep, verse 15. Uh, maybe it was um, when you were laying in bed. Maybe he did reveal something to you and you just didn't listen. All right, that's where we left off, verse 18. So let's go to verse 19. The Bible says, And he, uh, he is chastened also with pain upon his bed, and the multitude of his bones with strong pain, so that his life abhorreth bread, and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not yet, uh, the bones that were not seen stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the destroyers. So Elihu says, okay, God could have spoken to you in a dream, but he also could be speaking through the suffering. Now, is Elihu taking the same position as the other three friends? I think, from my study of this, I think he gets more and more off track as he goes. I think he starts off with some pretty decent perspective but then by the time we get to chapter 37, I think he's getting more and more off base in his criticism. But right here, I don't know that he is that we can classify him the same as Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I don't know that we can put him in that same category um, because they saw what Job went through as punishment for some sin that they think he committed. Whereas Elihu, I think at this point, is saying, no, God's correcting you. In fact, he uses the word chastened in verse 19. He is chastened with pain. That means like a, 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 like a father chastens his son. Uh, parents chasten their children. It is in love, it is correction, and it's different than punishment. Punishment is, um, is, to pay, is payment for your sin. So I, I think Elihu sees turmoil, and he sees, he said, hey, this could be God working, growing. It could be building you. As we know in our heads anyway that when we go through trials and problems, that that's one of the things that God is doing is growing us and making us better. Even Job, as righteous of a man as he was, needed had some growth potential in him. Now, um, verse 23. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand, to show unto this man uprightness, then he is gracious unto him. And saith, deliver him from going down to the pit, for I, I have found a ransom. So he says, if there is a, if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter. What is an interpreter? Okay. Okay, a translator. Yep, telling you what what something means. Um, an interpreter has to do to, has to do something. They have to be able to speak both languages, whether it's both languages or both dialects, whatever. Right. Um, but if you have an interpreter, somebody who is going to, uh, even if it's from English to sign language or English to Spanish, whatever, somebody has to be an interpreter. They have to know both languages. Well, um, Charles Spurgeon pointed out that they must know both languages and that Jesus is our interpreter. He knows the language of God and he interprets it for us. And so there's just like that word interpreter helps us to see that God is uh, providing what we need. You see, without an interpreter, it's going to be very difficult to understand what's going on. Uh, without without somebody helping us, uh, and that doesn't mean the priest, that doesn't mean um, the pastor, it means that the Holy Spirit does that. Now, 
Um, can someone go through something or learn something and help you understand because they've already gone through it? Sure. But ultimately it is the Holy Spirit and it is through Jesus Christ. He is our interpreter and he does that for us. So Job's friends saw Job's problem as concealed sin. But Elihu claims that Job's failure to keep God's uprightness is his theme. In other words, that's his problem. Job's friends, at this point, I think Elihu gets off track a little bit, but at this point, uh, Job's friends, the problem was that they that they saw uh, Job as as a sinner with hidden with a concealed sin, but Elihu sees the problem. That isn't necessarily of that, but that he is failing to keep Christ or God, his uprightness, as the forefront. Verse 25, His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray unto God, and he will be favorable unto him, and he shall see his face with joy. For he will render unto man his righteousness. He looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned, and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from going to the pit, and his life shall see the light. So ultimately here, um, maybe for different reasons, but ultimately here, Elihu has the same basic condemnation of Job. That is that you are a sinner, repent, and God will spare you, right? That's, that's the same thing that the friends were saying, that you're, you're off track. They thought some concealed sin. Maybe he thought because he's not giving God glory enough, right? But either way, they both felt that if Job would just straighten up, that God would, God would spare him uh, in fact, it says there, um, he will deliver his soul from going into the pit and his life shall see light. Now, there is no guarantee that just because you get your heart right with God, that he's going to make everything better. We don't have that guarantee. But we do have a guarantee that he forgives and that he will go through things and he will be with us as we go through those continued trials. Verse 29, though all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. To bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of living. Mark well, O Job, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will speak. If thou hast anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify thee. If not, hearken unto me, hold thy peace, and I will teach thee wisdom. Okay, so this sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it, from a young man. Um, he says, okay, Job, if you've got something to say, uh, then, then I want to hear it. Because remember at the beginning, he defers to the elder men. He defers to Job and the other, the other men. And I think that's proper. I think it's wise. But now he says, listen, I, I want you to respond. And if you don't have anything to say, just, just keep your mouth shut. And I've got some wisdom I'm going to teach you. Now, this is, I think, a sign of youth and, and maturity. Uh, how did Job feel about this young man? Probably a man who's never faced much turmoil. Uh, we don't have any record either way, of course, but... Probably hadn't faced a whole lot of turmoil. And he tells Job, hold your peace and I will teach you wisdom. So you can see, I think, the beginning of him starting to get a little bit off track or maybe his pride setting in as he continues. All right, let's go to chapter 34. Furthermore, Elihu answered and said, hear my words, O ye wise men, and give ear unto me that ye that have knowledge. Okay, so um, did Elihu think that they were wise for listening to him or that if they listened to him, they would be wise. Right? There's, that's, I was talking about cause and effect on Sunday. Um, Hear my words, O ye wise men, and give 
ear on the me that you know. Maybe he's buttering them up, saying, okay, you're wise. You know, maybe I take, you know, I know I just said that I'll teach you some wisdom, but I'm going to back that off a little bit, and you guys are already wise. Um, but he says in verse 3, for the ear trieth words as the mouth tasteth meat. So just like you put food in your mouth and you go, oh, this tastes good, so it's good, or it tastes like this, so I know what it is. Um, he says the ears are to the ear are the same thing as food is to the mouth. Words to the ear, I'm sorry. Words to the ear are the same thing as food is to the mouth. Um, you put food, then you judge it by your taste. So the same is true of words. They enter your ear, and then you begin to judge those words. All of us do that. Uh, verse 4, let us choose to us judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job hath said, I am righteous, and God hath taken away my judgment. Now, what does he mean by taking away my judgment? His justice. Okay, So he is saying, Job has said that I'm righteous, and God hath taken away the justice for me, or the justice that I should face. Verse 6. Should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water? Okay, so remember, verse 6 is still a part of his quoting of Job, okay? Should I lie against my right? My wound is incurable without transgression. What man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water, which goeth in company to the workers of iniquity, and walketh with wicked men? For he hath said, it profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. So, he, he again, he cherry-picks the quotes that, he's, that he gives us. He makes it seem that Job claims perfection. He makes it seem that Job is blaming God for being unfair or even unrighteous. And I think that there's a case you could make that there were some careless words that Job used. That maybe it was in grief and pain, maybe it was in ignorance, but there were some words that he could have... Uh, that maybe we'd step back and I'm sure there were times where I was reading through and going, well, okay, Job, you're getting a little bit, getting a little bit strong in those words. Um, but again, he was, they were an expression of his pain and his grief, but Job never claimed to be sinless. Did he? So when he, when he says, Oh, Job said, I am righteous and God had taken away my judgment. Um, he makes it sound like Job had claimed to be sinless or that, that everything is unfair. Uh, he, but he did claim, though, that there's no unconfessed sin or that he was right with his God. He claimed, and, and God told us that. It's not even just Job, but God told us that. Um, and he claimed, and he said, he said, I feel like I've been left alone. I don't remember exactly what the passage that was, but I feel like I've been left alone and nobody's listening to me or God's not listening to me. So Elihu claims that Job is drinking up, scorning like water. He's rebuking Job, so he's not defending Job's handling of the rebuke of the, the three friends. He accuses Job of being a scornful person and taking company with workers of iniquity. Um, so it's, it's harsh, right? I mean, he is, he's being harsh to Job and calling him somebody who, who takes up this iniquity. Verse 9, For he has said, It profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. Um, sorry, where am I... Okay, yeah, so um, then verse 10, Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Uh, For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. Uh, So Elihu's right 
Like, I mean, what he says here. Remember all the times we said that the, the other three friends had good doctrine, they just misapplied it? Um, Elihu is correct. Verse 11 follows the biblical pattern of sowing and reaping. Um, for the work of man shall he render unto him and to cause every man to find according to his, his ways. Um, is the law of sowing and reaping an all-encompassing rule? The Bible says that what a man soweth, he also reapeth, right? Whatsoever a man soweth, that also will he reap. Um, but let, let me ask you, did Job, was he, by getting the diseases and losing his family, was he, so, was he reaping what he had sown? No. So that we, we have to, again, it's just like Proverbs, we have to take those and say these are general principles. But, but to them, they were taking and saying, obviously, if there's trouble in your life, you caused it. If there's trouble in your, if you're reaping trouble, then you must have sown trouble. Uh, but that, that rule is not all-encompassing. It is a general, generally it is the true principle, though. Verse 13. Who hath given him charge over the earth? Who hath disposed of the whole world? If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together, and man shall turn again to dust. So Elihu asks a rhetorical question. He says, who hath given God authority over the earth? Now, we all know the answer to that, that nobody gave God the authority. He has the authority because he, he is the supreme being. He is the creator. Um, he created everything. You say, well, did he create the other gods? No, he created everything. There are no other gods. He is the only. So the answer is obviously that no man has given him authority. He is God and creator of all. That, However, does that make it wrong to question Job's circumstances? Does it make it wrong for Job to question circumstances? No. I think it comes back to motivation. If you ask God why, and in a, in a doubting or an accusing way of God, you, you're really messing this up here, then yes, that would be sinful. But to simply say, God, why? Because I want to grow, I want to understand, and I want to get through this, and I just want some peace. But without calling into question God's goodness or God's uh, power, then I think that that's a good why to ask. Um, so, you want to grow? You want to understand more so you can understand more about your God and, and how he operates? That's a good thing. Um, in fact, let me uh, go to Psalm 142. It says this. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knowest my path. And the way... Wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. For thou shalt deal bountifully with me. So he cried. David um, David here, he cries out to God. And he's not doubting God. He's not blaming God. But he does cry out to God. 
um, with, you know, can, can you take this away from me? So questions, right? So there's, this is not a bad thing, and I don't think Job was wrong in questioning God and asking why. Now, verse 16. If now thou hast understanding, hear this, hearken to the voice of my words. Shall even he that hateth right govern? And wilt thou condemn him that is most just? So was, was Job condemning God or someone who hated right uh, for someone who hated right to govern instead of God? In other words, um, was he wishing that someone else would govern the universe instead of God? Is that his complaint? No, I, I don't think so at all. He says in verse 18, Is it fit to say to a king, Thou art wicked, and to princes, ye are ungodly? So, he, here's what he's saying. Um, Job, you're just, a, you're just a pauper. You're not the king. You're not the prince, right? And he says, Is it fit to say to the king, Thou art wicked, and to the princes, you're ungodly? Uh, he, he's taking Job's complaints as an attack on God's righteousness. Now, would you use that language with an earthly king? Well, no, but he is not only our heavenly father or our, our heavenly king, he's also our heavenly father. And to be able to have a relationship and be able to say to him, God, can you, can you help me through this? I don't understand, and I, I really want to understand because I know you're good. I know you're righteous, but I'm not sure why I'm going through this. And so... Uh, verse 19, how much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regardeth the rich more than the poor? For they all are the work of his hands. In a moment shall they die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away, and the mighty shall be taken away without hand. So basically he's here, he's saying God has made all men. God has made all of them, including the princes. They are all the work of his hands, and they shall all die at the hand of God. We've said that before. God is the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life, and he's the taker of life. And everything must be done within his laws and his, uh, his boundaries. Verse 21. For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he will not lay upon man more than right that he should enter into the judgment of God. He shall break in pieces mighty men without number and set others in their stead. Therefore he knoweth their works, and he overturneth them in the night, so that they are destroyed. He striketh them as wicked men in the open sight of others, because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways. So the wicked man cannot hide from God. We, that, that's what Elihu is saying here. He sees their wicked ways. He brings them down and puts righteous men in their places. Now, that's also a general truth, right? But that's not, that's not an all-encompassing rule. That every time we see somebody wicked, that God, that we're going to just see God take them down and put somebody righteous in their place. Um, so we can't judge every situation uh, on that criteria. And so, I'm telling you, there's been so many times in my life I've heard people just say, well, the Bible says this, and so this is what happens. Train up a child the way you should go when he's old, he will not depart from it. And then you're going, yes, I'm going to raise my kids right, and then you raise your kids right, you do your best, and then they turn away from God, and you go, I must, either, either I'm wrong or God's wrong, right? Um, and, and maybe you say, well, if I was a perfect parent, I would still, no, see, your child still makes their own decisions. Uh, the way the parents raise them... That has vast amounts of influence on how the children come out, certainly. 
But ultimately, that child is going to make a decision for themselves about how they're going to live. And have there have you ever seen children that were raised in good homes and the, the you know, consistent parents, loving parents, and kept them in godly uh, environments, and the home was a godly environment, and the child grows up and they decide they're going to go a different way. Um, it's sad, but I think that that's possible. Although I think it happens far less when the parents are when when we do our. I mean, as parents, look at most of you are older than me. Um, I constantly find out how much I mess up and how I'm not good at it. Right? I constantly go, man, I, I, I need to be a better dad. I'm going to figure it out when they're, like, gone, you know? And be like, oh, that's what I should have been. Um, but I, I just think we have to be, uh, we have to understand that not every, uh, like this, not, not, not every uh, proverb God's commands are true, and I'm not questioning the Bible, of course. I think you know me better than that. Um, But these are proverbs that are general principles. Verse 28. So that they cause the cry of the poor to come unto him, and he heareth the cry of the afflicted. When he giveth quietness, who, who then can make trouble? And when he hideth his face, who then can behold him? Whether it be done against a nation or against a man only. That the hypocrite reign not, lest the people be ensnared. Okay, so Elihu says that the wicked cause the cries of the poor to come to the ears of God. When God gives peace, who can disrupt that? When God hides his face, who can see it? It seems to me that verse 30 is saying that if it were not true, then the hypocrites would reign instead of the ensnared people. That the hypocrite reign not, lest the people be ensnared. So when... um, when this happens all the time, but maybe Elihu's point is that it doesn't happen to a righteous people. That the righteous people would not be reigned over by the by the hypocrites. Okay, again, this is Elihu speaking. This is not thus saith the Lord. Um, but I think we can see that there might be a general principle there that doesn't always hold true. Uh, verse thirty-one: Surely it is meet to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement; I will not offend any more. That which I see not, teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Should it be according to thy mind, he will recompense it, whether thou refuse or whether thou choose, and not I. Therefore speak what thou knowest. So the young man here, Elihu, tells Job what he should have said to God. He should have said, I'm sorry for what I did. I've been chastened and corrected by God. I won't do it anymore. That's basically... I think what he's telling them, I'm not going to do this iniquity anymore. And so he's settled, I think, he's beginning to settle more and more into the same position that the other three friends were in. And that is that, Job, this is your fault. Just admit it and get right. Verse 34. Let men of understanding tell me, and let a wise man hearken unto me. Job hath spoken without knowledge, and his words were without wisdom. My desire is that Job may be tried unto the end because of his answers for wicked men. For he addeth rebellion unto his sin. He clappeth his hands among us and multiplieth his words against God. Okay, so this is maybe the most harsh point that we've gotten to so far with this. Um, He says, uh, let men of understanding tell me, let wise men hearken unto me. In other words, if you're you're wise, you're going to listen to what I have to say here. Job spoke without knowledge. And his words were without wisdom. Wow. Here's this young man telling this 
man who's been through all of this, your words were without wisdom. Now, you might say that there were some things that he could have said better. But to say that he was without wisdom, I think, is just, he's gone over the line of the, the way he should be responding to Job. My desire, verse 36, my desire is that Job may be tried into the end because of his answers for wicked men. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to go, I think Job needs to go through more. Because he, you obviously uh, haven't learned your lesson yet, all this stuff. You're still defending yourself. I think you need to go through more. That's, that's what he's saying here. For he addeth rebellion unto his sin. Okay, so now, at the beginning he says, you're not, uh, you're, you're not focusing on the righteousness of God. You're focusing on your own righteousness. Now, at the end, that's like the sin added to his original sin. Right? So now he seems to be saying... Um, hey, you're, you already had this sin, and now the, your, your inability or your unwillingness to confess it, you're adding that rebellion to the sin that was already there. He clapped his hands among us, and he multiplied his words against God. In other words, he clapped his hands. What, what I think that means that when, he, when they're trying to talk, he's ignoring them. You know, he's just making noise, and he's ignoring what they're saying. And, um, and multiply his words against God. He is... Speaking of multiplying words, Elihu is the one who's multiplying his words. Um, so um, Elihu wishes that he could face more, and then maybe that would turn his repentance towards God. So that's where we end chapter 34, okay? Let's go to chapter 35. We'll begin it. We won't get very far probably, but let's go to chapter 35. Hopefully next week we'll finish all the way through chapter 37. But we'll see. Verse thirty, verse one of chapter thirty-five. Elihu spake moreover, and said, "Thinkest thou this to be right? That thou saidest, my righteousness is more than God's." Okay. When did Job say his righteousness was more than God's? He didn't say that. But why would he insinuate that? Well, I think in verse three, for thou saidest, "What advantage will?" Will it be unto thee? And what what profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? Okay, so in in verse two he says, "You said your righteousness is more than God's, and here's why: because you said this." Now, verse three, I can't find that Job said that in even similar terms. I, I don't think that he said that, but at times he did question what's the point of all of it, right? And at times he's saying, um, what advantage is it, will it be unto me? In other words, what, what good is all this going to happen? And so, but with verse 3 when he says, what profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? Did Job say that? Because that would be admitting he was in sin. But he's not. So Elihu is taking what Job, what Job says and he is making it sound like Job meant something else by it. That's what I think has happened. And so after a break in his speech, maybe waiting to see if Job or his friends had a response to the first discourse. Uh, you know, chapter 35 kind of begins the second discourse. Um, he claims that Job claimed that his righteousness was more than God's. Now, um, Job never claimed to be righteous and and as in without sin, he certainly never claimed to be more righteous than God. 
he had called God his redeemer. To, to need a redeemer, you need to understand that you need a redeemer, right? You need to understand that you need to be redeemed. So Job was certainly, certainly was not under the impression that he was righteous or more righteous than God. Um, but he did use strong words. He did, he did say a lot. And he used a lot of words. He said a lot of strong words. So I can see how if we're looking to pull something you know, out of there, you could see how he could take and twist and do that. Um, but anyway, let's go to verse 4. I will answer thee and thy companions with thee. Look unto the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. If thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. Okay, so Elihu, he's got a kind of a view of God I don't think is consistent with Scripture. Um, in fact, his view is not even consistent with his own view, if that makes any sense. Um, all right, so here's why. He said that God is so far above Job, right? He says there, uh, look in the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. Um, and so he is, in that whole paragraph there, he's basically saying that God is far above us all. Now, we agree with that, right? God is far above us all. Um, he says he, and so in this chapter, he's going to use the sky and the clouds. And even in the chapter 36, um, he's going to use these as comparison. And he claims that God is so high up there, so far away that Job can't touch him. He, if thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou in him? In other words, your, your sins don't touch God. You can't, you can't hurt God. Yet the scripture says that when we sin, we sin against God. So we are, our sin does reach God. Okay? Um, Elihu claims that the wickedness uh, can hurt man and righteous may profit man. Um, and in fact, he says there in verse number, uh, oh, where are we? I'm in, I'm in chapter 34, that's why. Chapter 35. Um, he says, thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. Okay? So, um, the son of man here is not the son of man being Jesus Christ. Okay? The son of man here is people on the earth, men on the earth. So, Eliud claims that the wickedness can hurt man, and righteousness may profit man. Okay? All right, that can happen. Right? Wickedness can hurt man, and will hurt man. And righteousness may profit man, but it may here on this earth, it may not. It may immediately, it may not. All right, let's go to, let's do 9 through 12 and then we'll stop there. By reason of the multitude of oppressions, they make the oppressed to cry. They cry out by reason of the arm of the mighty. But none saith, where is God my maker? Who giveth songs in the night? Who teacheth us more than the beasts of the earth and maketh us wiser than the fowls of heaven? There they cry, but none giveth answer because of the pride of evil men. So man cries out when he's oppressed, right? He cries out for help. Job was crying out to God for help. But Elihu claims that the cries of the oppressed are not sincere, at least not typically sincere. They're not sincere cries of help and recognition of God as maker or as song giver or as teacher as we see in those verses. 
But he condemns the cries of Job as insincere. Look at verse 12. There they cry, but none giveth answer because of the pride of evil men. And so uh, they, he says, listen, God's not hearing your cries because you're prideful. And Job wouldn't concede to their claims, so that must mean he's prideful, right? That's what they thought because they thought in Elihu too, they thought they were so smart. Uh, was Job proud before God? I don't think we have anything to say Job had any pride before God. We, we never, we see him say, I'm innocent. But that's different than saying, I am righteous, right? He claims his innocence, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, he, so he's under no obligation to, to cave to their demands. They have no reason, they have no right to, to demand that, that Job confess something that he hadn't done. He was under no obligation to cave to them, but he had an obligation to speak the truth. And that's what he did. And I think that's what made them so mad. You know, if Job would have just said, hey, um, all right, guys, yeah, I'll confess, and just to get him off his back, that would have shut him up, but that would have been dishonest. And so he just just couldn't do that. Oh, we can do 13 through 16. Let's just finish the chapter. All right. Verse 13, Surely God will not hear vanity, neither will the Almighty regard it. Although thou sayest thou shalt not see him, yet judgment is before him. Therefore trust thou in him. But now, because it is not so, he hath visited his anger, yet he knoweth it not in great extremity. Therefore doth Job open his mouth in vain. He multiplieth his words, multiplies words without knowledge. Okay, so man, just like the end of the last chapter, he kind of rebukes him again here, gets harsh with him. And basically he says, God's not going to listen to your, verse 13, your vanity, or he's not going to listen to your empty talk. You claim you don't see God, but he's showing himself to you in judgment. That's what He comes back to the same thing with the other friends, right? This is, this, God is trying to get a hold of you. God's trying to talk to you. And you're not seeing this judgment as you should be seeing it. And to him, it is clear and simple. But since you won't listen to his corrections, then he visits you in anger. So he's blaming Job. Remember, everybody keeps going back to God is doing this to Job. And we know that God allowed Satan to do it to Job because Job was righteous, not. See, why would God bring something like this into his child's life? To test, to grow, or to correct sin. Why would Satan want to bring something like this into Job's life? To do the exact opposite, right? So God allowed it, knowing that Job was strong and that Job would be uh, faithful to him. So, as a personal attack on Job, Elihu says that Job opens his mouth and nothing of substance comes out. Um, he says that in verse 16, Therefore doth Job open his mouth in vain. He multiplieth his words without knowledge. But So he says that Job speaks a lot but doesn't have knowledge of what he's saying. And again, so are you starting to see that Elihu is maybe not how, how he faded, <laughs> how he started out being someone who we can go, man, he had some good, and I do think there's some good things there. But he seems to, the further we go, he seems to be more and more harsh on Job. So we'll, we'll come back next week. We'll finish. We'll do a chapter 36 and chapter 37. And then we'll get into the final, the words of God. We'll get into the, the closing and how the book ends. I mean, really, all the good stuff takes place in the last, like, half of the last chapter. <laughs> all the, all the, the parts that you remember, right? About he, God blessed him uh, more and more. So, yeah, that's it. All right, we will... Uh,
Next week, we'll finish those up. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.